Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories, and we tell stories about everything here on this show. And our favorite stories are our listeners' stories. They're your stories. Our next story comes to us from Paul in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Paul moved our listeners with his story, Wilbur and the Empty Nester, and a baby boomer's battle with insanity and fitness. We asked him if he had any more. Here he is with a story simply titled, Moose Prayer. Have you ever seen a moose? I have. They're big, strong, powerful, and athletic. Have you ever wanted to be a moose? I did. 
I lived with a moose all throughout my childhood, growing up in Bloomington, Minnesota. The middle child of a cluster of eight devout Catholic kids, I have three older brothers, one older sister, two younger brothers, and one younger sister. I grew up idolizing my older siblings, what I wouldn't have given to be as cool as them. Such was the thought of this impressionable little brother. It was Tom, the firstborn, five years my senior, that I most wanted to emulate. His nickname? Moose. A three-sport star at Kennedy High School, larger than life in my ten-year-old eyes. To a fifth grader, a fifteen-year-old moose may as well have been Paul Bunyan. He could do it all. What does this have to do with the moose prayer? Let me start by asking, have you ever wondered whether God is listening to your prayers? I have wondered the same. As a high school sophomore, I remember praying that the cute, energetic cheerleader would fall head over heels for me. I was a shy, bashful, awkward teenager. It didn't happen. God didn't answer my prayer. Or did he? It turned out the cheerleader and I had very little in common. I also remember another selfish prayer, a petition I made before my varsity hockey games. Please God, help us to win and help me to score a goal. A victory and a goal did not always happen. God didn't grant that prayer request either. Or did he? Perhaps I scored more goals than I deserved. Or what about my prayer asking that God would give me over my fear of public speaking? He certainly didn't answer that one the way I had hoped. After 58 years, I still shiver at the thought and stutter when attempting to speak in public settings. Or was it answered indeed? This leads me to the prayer that God answered for me without a doubt. My Moose Prayer. Let's go back to the 10-year-old 5th grader and his 15-year-old oldest brother. One evening, Moose and I were in our basement in the middle of an all-star wrestling match and it happened. BAM! I could not believe my eyes. Moose, while performing a wrestling move, banged his head on the ductwork above us. While he was busy shaking off the cobwebs, I was standing there in awe. How could he hit his head on something that high? My brother, Moose, was indeed larger than Paul Bunyan. He was a giant after all, confirmed in my mind right then and there. Thus, my moose prayer was born. From that night forward, I ended my bedtime prayers with, Please Lord, help me to grow to be as big as moose. Prayer after prayer, night after night, year after year, I was relentless. I wanted more than anything to be as big as my big brother. I kept up this prayer for a good five or six years, never letting up. While we don't have a lot of tall genes in our family, my dad pushing six feet, my mama petite five feet five inches, my non-moose brothers at 5'11", although most of them are still claiming to be six feet. But moose topped out at six feet two inches. Big, strong, powerful, and athletic, indeed. As for me, somehow I grew to be six feet six inches. How did that happen? I don't know for sure. Was it the peanut butter, my favorite food? I doubt it. Coincidence? Maybe. In answer to my moose prayer? I think, quite possibly, yes. For God tells us, Ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened unto you. I certainly ask to be tall, with passion, over and over again. For me, I believe God chose to answer my prayer and then some. His way of telling me, do not doubt, have faith. I hear you and will answer your prayers. This knowledge he has given me, this faith, has served me well over the years. On days when my faith is tested and doubt creeps into my mind as to whether God cares and is listening, 
I need to look no further than my six foot six inch frame as a reminder that yes, God does listen, and he does care, and he does want me to talk to him. My prayers have changed since I was a teenager. Instead of a laundry list of things to ask God for, I try to spend more time talking with God and listening to him. Quiet time together, one-on-one, conversing. As a father myself, I learned how precious time is with your sons and daughters. What father would not want to have a conversation with his child? After my kids moved out of our house and I became an empty nester, the days I would get a phone call from one of them became my best days. It made no difference to me the reason they called. Sometimes it was just to say hi and to tell me they loved me. Sometimes it was to discuss an issue they were having or to ask for some fatherly advice. Sometimes they even called and questioned something I was doing. I cherished each and every one of these conversations. The precious time together is priceless. Fathers, I have learned, of course want what is best for their children, and we do want them to ask. And I can surely imagine how the same goes with our Heavenly Father. I also learned much of this from my own father. He asked me once, during one of our weekly Sunday night sessions, to define prayer. I struggled with an answer. I thought I knew what it was, but I couldn't articulate it. He sent me to go look it up. I don't remember where I found the answer he was looking for, but when I came back and I said, prayer is talking to God with love, he said, that's correct. I'll never forget it. But more than a definition, I learned from my dad how to pray. From the formal prayers and the rosary, I also learned to be unselfish in prayers, praying for others rather than myself just as he did. Our family has been blessed over and over, thanks in a large part, I'm sure, to his unending prayers. I'm pretty sure my dad's moose prayer had nothing to do with himself, but more to do with talking to God with love about helping others. So this all begs the question, who is your moose? Who do you want to emulate? What is your moose prayer? Talk to God about it, with love. I'm convinced he's looking forward very much to talking with you and he will listen to you, and he will answer your prayers. And a great job, as always, by Greg. And a special thanks to Paul in Minneapolis, Minnesota, from WCCO 830 in Minneapolis, one of our great affiliates, and we have so many across this great country, here on Our American Stories. Folks, if you love the great American stories we tell, and love America like we do, we're asking you to become a part of the Our American Stories family. If you agree that America is a good and great country, please make a donation. A monthly gift of $17.76 is fast becoming a favorite option for supporters. Go to OurAmericanStories.com now and go to the Donate button and help us keep the great American stories coming. That's OurAmericanStories.com. And we continue with our American stories. And now Robbie brings us the story of Jason Wolf, a pioneer in the early days of the Internet. He created the first online coupon site and was the first to seriously develop software that tracked web browsing using what are known as cookies. But Jason isn't here to talk about that. Instead, Jason is here to bring us the story of becoming the father that he never had himself. Here's Jason. Thank you. 
You know, I, I think my very first memories were when I was living in Virginia. My dad worked in the CIA, so we lived in a place called Ruston, Virginia, which was like a new suburb of Washington, D.C. back then. I could remember having a bike and learning how to ride a bike with my dad, and I must have been maybe three or four. And I remember going down this little hill that he was pushing me down and, you know, basically being scared and then being happy that I learned how to ride a bike. So, yeah, it was my earliest memory. Something that, that happened in my life that I remember that was like a pivotal thing, probably when my mom and dad got um, separated. By then, it was 1975, so I was six or so, and I could remember my dad driving, he had a Volkswagen, sort of like a station wagon Volkswagen. He loaded all of us up into his Volkswagen, drove up to Connecticut, and all of us, meaning my brother and sister and I, drove us up to Connecticut and dropped us off with my grandparents, with my mom. My mom was acting strange, I didn't know what was going on. Um, and then he left, and that was the beginning of their divorce. And shortly after that, my mom, turned out later I found out, my mom had mental illness, and so she was put into a sort of a mental institution for a couple years. So for a couple years, after my dad dropped us off, my mom was you know, going through trying to get herself back together. And yeah, those are, those are the, that's probably the next milestone in my life. I could remember when my mother was, um, they were trying to get her to take her into the, this mental institution, whatever, she was put away for a couple of years. And they somehow couldn't get her, she was elusive. <laughs> <laughs> and I can remember my sister and I going to this hospital and they were getting her there under some other uh, guise, some other trick to get her to show up. And so she shows up and my sister and I are sitting out there. By now I'm probably a little older, six or seven. And um, I remember the, uh, we, they had my sister and I playing sort of games out inside this room. And I remember hearing some screaming. And I look over and here's my mother running towards me with a, with a straitjacket on because they were trying to put her into a straitjacket. And that was like hugely pivotal and kind of crazy at that time. And from then, over the next course of a couple of years, I mean, we lived with grandparents. Um, I lived with an aunt for a little bit and then eventually moved in with um, an uncle. And my mom came out of the institution, tried to take us back, get back on her feet living in sort of, you know, welfare life, not a lot of money, poor. I can remember a Christmas vividly when I was around nine at this point and just laying under a blanket with no heat in the house and getting a knock at the door. And at the door was, uh, looked out the door was a box with uh, frozen turkey and some games for us. And, you know, we couldn't cook the turkey. We had no gas, so we had no gas to light the stove. We're the poor people. We're the what they, I called the raggies. You know, the raggies of town, the people that are real raggy and poor and stuff, that was us. And so, yeah, I remember that. And then living with an uncle and then having to make a decision when I was about 10, uh, whether I wanted to go to this new school that they discovered that this nun that we were uh, going to a church uh, told my grandmother about down in Hershey, Pennsylvania. It was a school for, at the time it was boys, boys school. 
And they were just converting over to add girls. And it was in the late 70s, 79 or so. And we went down, took the test, came back, my brother and I, my brother didn't pass the test, I did. And they asked me, I can remember standing uh, at my uncle's house in the, on the second floor, and they were asking me, do you want to go to the school or do you want to go with your uncle, aunt and uncle to go to California, because they were moving to California. And I decided to go to Milton Hershey School alone by myself, which was hugely, you know, that was, God's, that was a God moment. There was no real reason for me to choose to not go with my family but I chose to not go with my family, to go down to Milton Hershey School. And so on September 20th, 1980, uh, it was a fall day, crisp out, football season, sunny. Uh, I'll remember just like yesterday, and I could feel the air, even right now, and being dropped off at Milton Hershey School. And my mother and my grandparents were there, and inside this place called the Rotunda, which is a huge building at Milton Hershey School. And I can remember Mr. Long standing there with me. He was the person that had the intake of children coming into Milton Hershey School. And I can remember standing with Mr. Long and looking at my parents and missing my, or my mother. By now I thought my dad was dead because my mom told us he was not alive. So he never paid child support and we really thought he was dead. So seeing my mother cry, my grandparents standing there and then they walk away and I'm, and I'm alone now. I didn't realize, but that I'd be on my lawn for a long time thereafter. And growing up in that school, I can remember not even a few months into it, maybe crying every night, trying to put myself to sleep and starting to try to get used to the school at the time was a, you know, um, corporal punishment was not, um, it was something that happened. It just happened, right? It was part of discipline. And I can remember running away and I remember getting paddled. I remember these things that I wasn't used to and it was scary and, and I cried and I didn't want to be there. But I learned to adapt and to change, to figure things out. Eventually I did. And eventually I excelled. I became, played three sports, football, baseball, and wrestling. Some of them I was a captain on, some of the teams I excelled in. My grades were always good. I was in the top group of our class, probably in the top, you know, handful of kids and then um, you know went on to college but before going on to college <laughs> I remember sitting at graduation day next pivotal moment was just sitting there and um, you know with a suitcase of clothes and a hundred bucks because they gave you a check at the time of a hundred dollars I think mine was less than a hundred because I owed the school something for something that I did I don't even know and I couldn't cash the check because I didn't have a bank account and I had a suitcase with the brand new clothes, you know, three pairs of socks, 10 pair of underwear, something like that, a bunch of pants, you know. And I'm sitting there with this big suitcase of clothes and this check I can't cash. And my grandfather had a stroke, so he was on the last months of his life. Um, my mother was always, you know, dysfunctional. And I wasn't really sure what I was going to do, you know. So I went up to Connecticut and I stayed with my grandmother to help her to take care of my grandfather until he died. And he passed away within a couple months. And I didn't go to college. Um, I wasn't sure what I was gonna do. And um, so I got involved in like a lot of things that somebody who has no family, uh, really, um, who has no direction, um, no male mentorship, um, Christ not in my life to any uh, large measure. And so I got involved in things that were uh, illegal. And I didn't do, you know, I don't, I'm not proud about it, but there was a stretch of my life right there that 
I was led, I was kind of going down the wrong roads. And, um, yeah. Thankfully, Jason, after a number of setbacks, had a moment of clarity. And after years of hard work, he created the first coupon website ever. And then the first real software to use cookies to track web browsing, which he sold for roughly $22 million. So that was 2006. And by then I was married. Uh, I was only married for a couple years. And I had a son, Morris. Um, and I ended up going through divorce. I get uh, the old, you know, you're locked out of your home type of deal. I go to go into my house and, and all the locks are changed. I was only married for two years. Um, I didn't know the person I was getting married to. I only knew her for four months before she got, I got married. And I married her because she was pregnant. And you've been listening to Jason Wolf tell the story of his life and what a story it is. When we come back, more of the life story of Jason Wolf here on Our American Story. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors in our lives, big ones and small ones. If we keep them bottled up, boy, that can be a real problem. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest, to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. I know people who've profoundly benefited from therapy, learning everything from coping skills to setting boundaries in their life. You don't have to have experienced major trauma to benefit from therapy. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's safe. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash OAS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash OAS. BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash OAS.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not. 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. And we're back with Our American Stories and with the story of Jason Wolfe. Jason's childhood was anything but easy. His mother was institutionalized, his father leaving and later dying, or at least well, that's what young Jason was told. Down the road, Jason had a son and got married. Unfortunately, that ended after a few years and Jason found himself in the middle of a divorce. Here's Jason to tell us the rest of the story. So during that divorce and after that divorce, it was a time for me, I think, to when God started knocking on my door and saying, hey, hey all this stuff you've got to do, you've got to be starting to change the way that you live and put, put God first. Even though going through divorce wasn't fun, it was, you know, financially it was a mess. It was because I sold a company during the time that I was married, it became a marital asset. And that was a big problem. And but. I started to go to church more. I started, I was, you know, invited into a men's group and I started the journey to change my life, to bring me as a man more towards Christ in a real way, as opposed to just saying that I'm a Christian. When I got divorced, it was easy for, you know, the lawyers to say, hey, you know, um, let's just kind of settle this disagreement and, um, I'm signing papers, honestly, I didn't realize this, Robbie, that is saying that I have, I didn't know what the lingo, lingo meant at the time. I didn't know what primary custody meant compared to just custody. I didn't know what legal custody meant. All I just knew was like, you have the kid or you don't. I, I quickly figured it out because I didn't have equal physical and legal custody. I had sort of visitation rights. I think that's terrible for dads at the time, and that's how it was for me. And I had to then try to argue with the court that I could be an equal father and I wanted to be uh, equally in, in Morris's life. And his mom tried to stop that. And so for years, from 2006 all the way up to 2011, uh, we fought uh, for uh, equal custody. And eventually in 2000, I think it was 11 or 10, uh, the governor at the time, Rendell, Pennsylvania, was leaving office and he uh, uh, put a, a change to the, the law or the thing about parental equal custody. Uh, at the time, I had to prove that I was an equal father. Like I was proved that I was. 
instead of just automatically giving equal custody to both parents and then disproving that the other person couldn't be a parent. And so when he did that, it allowed me to have 50-50 custody. It was a wonderful thing. And I think that's how it always should have been, but it wasn't at the time. So yeah, it took years for me to fight for him to just be in his life. Um, you know, and, and he was a big part of my life. We spent, um, I didn't get remarried until um, 2017. So for 10 years, it was just Morris and I and my dog, Toby, our dog, Toby. And, you know, I, I spent a lot of time with him. I focused on Morris. I did his homework with him. I, I was involved in the school. I was involved with his doctors. I was an equally involved father as it should be. And I loved it. I loved to be involved in his life. Um, he's older now, 15, 16. Kids change. <laughs> he's doesn't want to listen to me as much as he did before, but that's okay. Since then, I did get remarried, and we have uh, fostered, and we have adopted. So we have two girls now that we've adopted. Um, Danielle, who's five, and uh, Marigold, who is eight. Uh, we got them when they were three and three and six. Um, and so, so we love them. We have two new girls, and we have a boy right now, too. We foster. His name is Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, we hope, uh, eventually will be our son. And so our family went from just Morris and I and our dog to... Susan, my wonderful wife, Danielle, Miragold, Morris, Jeremiah, the dogs, and my wife loves animals. We have a donkey and a goat, two goats, and um, a pony. <laughs> so yeah, things have expanded. That's good. All these struggles, all these challenges that I had, I learned later in life that, you know, it was God banging on my heart my heart was getting broken over and over and over and it was because God wanted to get into my heart and my heart was hard and so I think these struggles have made my heart softer and a softer gentler heart was needed when Jason had to face the man he'd grown up thinking was dead the man who left his family when he was six his own father and so I found out my dad was alive in 1992 I was 22 years old, 21 years old. I was in college and found out he was alive. We sent letters to my grandmother who wouldn't tell us where he was and then she would send the letters to my father and he lo and, lo and behold wasn't dead. <laughs> and, um, found out he lived in New Zealand. He had a whole different life and I ended up going down and meeting him probably when I was 23. I spent about a month with him. Uh, got to know him a little bit and um, over the course of a couple years, knew him a little bit more, but I wasn't with Christ yet. And so what I decided to do was to say to my dad, listen, I don't forgive you unless you apologize. You need to apologize to my mom. You need to apologize to my grandmother because I am the judge. I didn't leave it up to God. I lived it up to myself. I'm going to dictate the situation. So he did. He sent a letter to my mom and my grandmother. And now my grandmother and my mother knows where he lives, right? <laughs> and so now all of a sudden it's a lawsuit. It's my mom suing my dad because he never paid child support. Now my dad's wanted and in the United States couldn't come back here. And if he did, he'd go to jail. And he had a, a, a judgment against him of $418,000 and back child support and interest and everything else, penalties, whatever. So he couldn't come back. And it was because of me that that happened. And because of my thought 
that I needed to tell somebody what to do or I needed to be the judge of somebody else and that caused him that pain. So I felt bad about that. And so when I sold the last company in 2016, I hired a lawyer and I found the documents down in Virginia, the divorce documents between my mom and my dad, found the settlement amount or the amount that they had leaned against my dad. And I went up to Connecticut and uh, met with my mom and convinced her to allow me to pay her on behalf of my father. So I would pay her. I'd buy her house at the time. The house was probably worth 100,000. I gave her 200,000. I gave her a commitment of $2,000 a month over the, her, the rest of her life and give her some other stuff in exchange for her releasing my father of the debt that he owed her. And she did. And so it was a proud moment for me to be able to tell my dad, hey, listen, I settled your debt to my mom. And I was able to live that out because of my faith. Now, my father, all his years, was not very close to the Lord. I don't even think, I think he was probably an atheist or agnostic, agnostic at best. And in the last several years, he married somebody, Rebecca, who was a Christian. And now my dad, at like the 75 years old, is going to church and he's in a, in a, um, a small group at church. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up, I'm telling you. And so it's been a, it's been a, a really a great journey for me with my dad. And, you know, I forgave him. I forgave him in the right way. I didn't forgive him because of me telling him what to do. I forgave him because Christ forgave me. And I think that's been special for me. And what a remarkable piece of storytelling. Thanks to Robbie for producing the piece. As always, he does such great work. And a special thanks also to Jason Wolf for sharing his story, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And boy, there was a lot of ugly. But my goodness, what came from all those struggles? And that, that seminal moment in his life is, as he put it, when God came knocking on my door. The story of Jason Wolf, the story of so many men and women struggling to find peace and healing in this world, here on Our American Story. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. 
Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. This is Our American Stories, and our next story is about a condiment all of us know and use, mustard. In Middleton, Wisconsin, there's a museum dedicated to this stuff. Here to tell the story is the founder of that museum, Barry Levinson. Take it away, Barry. I don't know if you know, according to the National Condiment Research Council annual report, ketchup is now the leading cause of childhood stupidity in America. Just telling you. Hi, my name is Barry Levinson, and I am the founder and curator of the National Mustard Museum in Middleton, Wisconsin. And this was not what I planned on doing when I was much younger. I actually was a lawyer at one time. I was head of the Criminal Appeals Division for the state of Wisconsin. But uh, the curse that I had upon me was that I'm originally from Massachusetts, which means, of course, I am a diehard Red Sox fan. I grew up having my heart broken year after year. 1967, they made it to the World Series. I remember it clearly. They lost in seven games. 1975, they also went to the World Series, lost in seven games. Then came 1986, and at the time I was here in Wisconsin doing criminal appellate work, and the Red Sox were in the World Series. And I told my friends, this is the year. 
there's no doubt that they had Roger Clemens. They had, oh my gosh, I think they must have had, uh, they, they had some great players then. And it was game six. The Red Sox were ahead by two runs. Victory seemed assured, but of course they lost. One thing led to another. I was devastated, but there was still game seven and game seven came and of course they lost. I was so depressed. I couldn't sleep. So I went to an all night grocery store, an all night supermarket, just to walk. And uh, I had no idea why I was there. It was 2.30 in the morning and I was pushing an empty cart up and down the aisles. Suddenly I was in front of the condiments. I remember going past the pickles and the olives, the relishes, the mayonnaises, the ketchups, nothing. I was in front of the mustards and I heard a voice that said, if you collect us, they will come. That's how I began my journey collecting jars of mustard. I think that night, or that morning, I think I bought about 10 or 11 different mustards. I remember, I think I bought French's mustard. I definitely, I think the first one was Plockman's mustard. There were, you know, maybe 10 or 11 that I got. And I said, I'll never be lonely again because I will meet up with all the other mustard collectors in the world. Ha, little did I know there weren't any. But that didn't deter me. So that's when I began collecting jars of mustard. It was 1986, but I still had a little bit of common sense. So I didn't quit my job because I figured I needed another sign and I got it. I got another sign about six months later. It was actually April 20th, 1987. I was arguing a case at the United States Supreme Court. You could look it up, Griffin versus Wisconsin. And on the way over to the court, leaving the my room at the Hyatt, I saw a discarded room service tray. And on it was a little jar of mustard. And it was unopened. And I saw it and I said, aha, I don't recognize it. And I'm thinking, okay, would it be theft for me to take this jar of mustard that could be reused by the hotel, but one which the hotel was not really expecting to get back? So I think I did what every good lawyer would have done. I took it, right? And I brought it with me to the United States Supreme Court and argued that case with that jar of mustard in my left pants pocket. This was a case that all of my colleagues said, there's no way you're gonna win this. Well, I won five to four. I'm sure that it was the mustard that made a difference. And it was at that time that I knew I needed to plot and plan my exit from, from law. And one day I would found the National Mustard Museum, which I did. And it opened in, uh, let's see, it would have been April of 1992. And it's been growing ever since. And we have over 6,000 different mustards. We have a lot of, uh, I think, pieces of great mustard art, old mustard tins, old mustard pots, old mustard advertisements, because mustard goes back centuries. And if you know that mustard before antibiotics and um, aspirin was probably the most popular prescribed medicine that doctors used. And I think if you're looking for the origin of what we know as mustard, go back to about the 12th or 13th century, where you will find the monks of the old Burgundian town of Dijon 
get it, Dijon. But the monks were making what we know as mustard. Curiously, there are no Dijon factories within the city limits of Dijon. One of the things we do at the Mustard Museum is we coordinate the international worldwide mustard competition. It's held every year. We've been doing it for about 20 years and mustards arrive from all over the world because, you know, mustard is universal. It's something that almost every culture knows about and uses. And every year there are about 300 different mustards that are judged blind in 17 different categories because that's the beauty of mustard. There's sweet mustards, there's Dijon mustards, there's grainy mustards, there's herb mustards, there's fruit mustards, there's exotic mustards. There's a specific category for deli mustards and we taste those with the pastrami. There's so many different flavors, curry mustards. We have tasted chocolate mustards. That's I think the beauty of it and you can find different uses of course for all of them. Now, one of the things, though, that we have found here in the U.S. is that it's sometimes difficult to get children to eat mustard. And, you know, in France, it has never been a problem. Children grow up eating, you know, good, strong mustard. But I don't know if it's, the, it's this thing about people just like sweet, mild things. That's a real problem. And probably the number one selling condiment is uh, salsa. Ketchup, I think, comes in number two. Mustard, and of course, you have to remember, a, a serving of mustard, it doesn't take a lot of mustard to give a lot of flavor, so you're not going to need as much. I mean, you need a lot more ketchup. And I, I don't understand why here in this country people insist on dipping French fries in ketchup. It's just, it makes no sense. And there are people who, believe it or not, will put mayonnaise on a corned beef or pastrami sandwich, you know, and that, I mean, that to me should be illegal. Also, people who put ketchup on hot dogs and bratwurst, no, you just don't do that. You know, for example, in Chicago, you know, which is famous for the Chicago hot dog, which has yellow mustard, not brown mustard, neon green relish, sport peppers, celery salt, maybe a little wedge of tomato, a pickle, it's really one of the great taste treats of Chicago. There are many hot dog stands in Chicago. If you go into them and you ask for ketchup, they will refuse to serve you. Good for them. Good for them. One of the things that uh, we've, we've done, or that I've done, is I've written a children's book called Mustard on a Pickle. And it's, uh, it's a, about a little boy who loves mustard so much that he puts it on everything. I'll give you a little taste of it, is that okay? Okay, I like mustard on my toast. I like mustard on a roast. But what I really like the most is mustard dribbled on a ghost. Can you be trusted without mustard? I don't think so. You would stink so. Don't get flustered. Eat your mustard. I like mustard on a pickle. I would even pay a nickel for just a teeny tiny squirt of mustard on my uncle's shirt. Everything tastes good with mustard, even plums and frozen custard. I like mustard in the air and mustard at the county fair. Putting Dijon on a bun, slurping yellow in the sun. That's mustard on a pickle. So this is what I do. It's just kind of an exciting thing to do. And I love just being at the museum with all my mustards. <laughs>
And what a great piece of work by Monty Montgomery, our our producer from Hillsdale College, by the way, a graduate of Hillsdale College, and finds such great quirky stories for us. My goodness, this was a really good one. From going and arguing cases in the U.S. Supreme Court, and by the way, attributing a winning argument to the mustard in his pocket, to founding the National Mustard Museum in Middleton, Wisconsin. We're talking about Barry Levinson, and we thank him for telling his story about his love affair with mustard. By the way, my mom was a huge collector of these old purses made of metal, and they were beautiful, and she collected thousands of them. And we've done the Salt and Pepper Shaker Museum, a mother and daughter combo who went around the country finding salt and pepper shaker combos. Also, we've done the Mascot Hall of Fame, the story of the National Mustard Museum, here on Our American Stories. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth no matter who you are. Mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 